But I am so excited to be here. I am an odd mix of a person. Yes, I used to be a mathematics teacher, a high school Bible and So I'm a strange mix of a being. But there's one thing that I get most passionate about, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his Coming. Amen? Amen? I have struggled with the disease for more than 30 years of my life. I have been through all kinds of trials and problems, and I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Amen. But the biggest reason I can't wait for him to come back is he will finally defeat sin in me. How many of you are excited about that? Amen? It's a message that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, are not preaching and teaching enough. Who would agree with that? I remember back in the old days, although I'm not old, in the old days before I was born, they used to preach about heaven and hell. And today it seems like we don't talk about that enough. But as I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, whether it's Old Testament prophets talking about the day of the Lord, or whether it's the New Testament apostles or Jesus himself, the main theme is Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to make this world right again. And in all of my years of teaching in Christian schools and now being a director of youth and young adults, I realized one thing. Young people are not excited about heaven. They're not excited about heaven. They believe it's boring. They watch commercials on television. They think heaven means playing a harp and eating cream cheese and sitting on a cloud somewhere. And they don't understand the reality of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So this morning, I hope to get you excited about that. But more so, I believe the Lord really wants to get our hearts tender towards his return and convicted about how we ought to be living in light of his return. Because if you believe that he's coming back, it will change your life. Amen? And when I went to the ladies' retreat and I prayed about what to share here, I shared a message called Last Words. And the reason I titled the message Last Words is because the last words that we often say to people are the most important words. If you're at somebody's deathbed and you give them the last words that you have to say, you're going to say what is most important to say. There have been many times in my life, whether they were my little nephews because of a, a divorce situation and they were being taken away from me, or whether it was other people in my family who were going away for a long time. When you see someone and you know you're not going to see them again for a while, you make sure that what you say to them is very, very important. Amen? And as I was thinking about the Bible one day, I was thinking about the way that the Lord structured the canon of Scripture, and it just so happens that Revelation is the last book of the Bible, a book that was penned by the Apostle John when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And as he reveals the revelation that God gave to him, he says at the very end about Jesus that he who testifies to these things, in Revelation 22, verse 20, John says, he who testifies to these things, which is Jesus, Testifies to what things? All that's going to happen at the time of his return. Revelation is a wild book, isn't it? And Apostle John says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen? These are the last words of Jesus as revealed in the canon of Scripture. The last red letters that you'll see in your Bible are Revelation 22.20, where Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
morning. What does that mean? Behold, I am coming soon. So what I'd like you to do, if you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, because I just love to hear the turning of pages in a Bible. How many of you love that? Yeah, the rustling of the leaves. And the older the Bible gets, and the more crinkly they get, the better it sounds. You know? I love new Bibles. I love to smell new Bibles. How many of you like to smell a new Bible? Okay, there's some other nerds in here. I love to smell books. I love to smell new Bibles. But I love to hear pages turn in old Bibles. So, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, um, I have this in my mind from the NIV version, the 1984 NIV version of 2 Peter chapter 3. But whatever version you have, turn there with me. Because Peter wrote the book of 2 Peter. And how many of you remember, was Peter a close friend of Jesus? Do you think if anybody knew the heart of Jesus, it would be the Apostle Peter, one of the inner circle disciples? Now, I love Peter. He was a wild kind of guy. He was definitely a type A personality. That's why I like him, because if you get to know me, you'll find out I'm type A. How many of you can tell already? <laughs> all right? I'm a type A personality. I like him because he was all about it, but, you know, he, he would go up and down sometimes, wouldn't he? But by the time he writes the first and second epistle of Peter, you find a changed man. You find a man who gets down to the heart of what Jesus was all about. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter shares with us something that we as Christians need to get into our hearts and our minds. An often overlooked chapter in the Bible. And actually, I'm going to talk about the return of the Lord this morning. And I'm never once going to refer back to the book of Revelation. As I want to show you, the return of the Lord is all through the Word of God. And it's exciting. So 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, Peter says this. He says, first of all, in other words, this is important. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now, what are the last days? Any time since... Jesus ascended up to heaven. So we are living in the last days. And he says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, Jesus promised. Now, how many of you know there are people doing that today? Where is this coming, Jesus promised. I mean, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's what Peter's saying. Now, many times we as Christians look at that scripture and we say, those dirty, rotten scoffers, how dare they mock the return of Jesus Christ? How dare they say, where is this coming that Jesus promised and doubt that he's going to return? But I would submit to you that oftentimes the scoffers are you and I. Don't ask you a question. If you really in your heart believed, in your heart of hearts, that Jesus Christ could return, at 1.14 this afternoon, would you have lived yesterday differently? Amen? How much do we get caught up in things that do not matter? How often do we get upset and put out of shape and get our focus on so many mundane things? When if we really, if I really believed that Jesus could come back in five minutes, I would have lived this weekend a whole lot differently. Amen? So it says in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and saying, where is this coming that Jesus promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And basically what that means is they're saying, hey, look, he's been saying he was going to return for 2,000 years. 
But my dad, I got up this morning and brushed my teeth and put my pants on and went to work and did my thing. My grandfather did it. My great-great-grandfather did it. My great-great-great-great-grandfather did it. They're saying throughout all the generations, it's been said that Jesus would return, but we keep waking up every morning and he hasn't come back yet. I got news for you. Just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not about to happen. Amen? And here's what it says. It says these mockers, they do two things. First of all, they deliberately forget. Now look at your Bible. It says they deliberately forget. That's deliberate. It means it's not that it's out of their mind. They actually push it out of their mind. Now Romans chapter 1, you don't have to turn there now, but Romans chapter 1 tells us that when people reject the truth of God, it's because they actively push it back. Romans chapter 1 tells us that since the creation of the world, God's qualities have been revealed in nature. And that what you have to do to God's truth is to willingly and deliberately push it away and force yourself not to deal with it and not to think about it. The Bible says that these mockers deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. I want to tell you something. How many of you know that it is very important what you believe about the beginning? The enemy is stealing something from the young people in the Church of Jesus Christ today by allowing us as Christians to not defend the literal seven-day creation, six-day creation of the world. It is time for us to go back to Genesis and teach that these are not fairy tales. These are not moral teachings. This is historical fact. This see what mockers do? They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And Peter says, and by these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. I'm going to tell you something. When I sit down with young people, little children, and talk to them about Old Testament stories like Noah, I don't even call it a story. Because in a child's mind, when you say story, they think fairy tale. I call them historical accounts. Yeah, Maria can tell you. You know, her daughter's four years old. Okay, Taya, let's talk about the historical accounts. No, it's what? Like, but what I'm trying to emphasize to her is this is not a fairy tale. This literally happened. And if you deliberately forget that God created the universe out of absolutely nothing by the power of His Word, then you forget the power of God over creation. And if you forget that God, by his hand, brought judgment on the world, literally, by a flood in Noah's day, then you're forgetting something majorly important as Jesus is going to show us. Amen? They deliberately forget that God created the world, that the world belongs to him, that he owns it, that he created it out of absolutely nothing, that he judged it one time in the past because of wickedness, and therefore he is going to judge it again. They deliberately forget all these things. That the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And look at what your Bible says. And by the same word. Not a different word. Not a different God. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth. Now this is scary. Teach us to your kids. The present heavens and earth is reserved for fire. You want to invest in this world? You want to invest in gigantic houses and tons of stuff? And live for material things, you're basically living for what's going to burn. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
Now, I want, to pr- I want to go back and I want to explain something. God is not going to destroy this earth by fire so as to do away with it completely. He is going to remake it by fire. That's exciting. Because how many of you know when you want to purify gold and make it what it should be, you put it through the fire and you purge out all the impurities. And the Bible tells us clearly that one day Jesus is going to grab hold of the present heavens and the present earth and by fire he is going to remake it and purge it of all impurities so it is finally going to work right. Amen? No more natural disasters. No more genetic problems. No more sinfulness. The world itself is going to be remade into a new heaven and a new earth. But nevertheless, the present, this present earth is reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you because he wants no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so people, including the church of Jesus Christ, we get comfortable and we forget about his return, when all the while, it's not that he's not coming back, he's trying to see as many people saved as is possible. In other words, the time that he's given us is not for us to play around with, it's for us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But look at the next verse. But the day of the Lord. Now watch this, because this is Peter speaking. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now listen to those words, because it's going to be corroborated many times throughout the Bible. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid absolutely bare. You ever see one of those movies like predicting some kind of nuclear fallout or nuclear war and they'll show just the surface of the earth and there's nothing? I'm going to tell you something. God's not a fairy tale God. There is coming a day when the earth will be laid bare. Every mansion, everything that we've invested in, all of our clothes, our Nike tennis shoes, all the stuff that we're living for, that we're polishing up and trying to make better and working more hours than we should to obtain, listen to me, it's going to be laid bare. And the Bible says that since, now watch this, Peter says, and this is a sobering moment, and I'm thankful the Holy Spirit is quieted in here because, listen, since... Everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? And that's a question. Amen? Amen. That's a question that there's brings me to tears. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and Speed is coming. Because that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. 
Hallelujah. Amen. That's some powerful stuff from Peter, isn't it? Hallelujah. You get the feeling that Peter was passionate for the return of Jesus Christ, and you get the feeling that Peter would come down to the church of Jesus Christ today and say, get it straight. Quit focusing on the wrong things and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and speed the day of his return because this world is never going to satisfy you. This world is never going to bring you joy. This world is going down and a new world is going up. And the only people who will be a part of it are people who are serious about holiness and godliness. Amen? And those are not boring things. Those are the most exciting things in the universe. Now, what I'd like to do with you, one thing that people say about when I teach the Bible is they love how I connect Scripture to Scripture, or Old Testament to New Testament. Listen, I found it so amazing. These are the words of Peter, one of the closest friends of Jesus. But I wonder what Jesus actually said. Did what Jesus say tie to and collaborate what Peter said? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Anybody like talking about the return of Christ so far? Yeah. yeah. And if it's convicting, that's God. Listen, I get up every morning and preach this sermon to myself. It's time for us to set our priorities in order. Amen? The Church of Jesus Christ has gotten just a little off track, I believe. A little off track. A little too caught up in the wrong focus. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking. Now, I want you to get this in your head here. Jesus is not preaching to unsaved people in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, he's getting ready to leave this world, and he is talking to his disciples. Whoa. Wait till you hear what he has to say to us. He's talking to the church here. He's talking to us in Matthew chapter 24. And um, what verse am I picking it up at? I might have to look. Matthew chapter 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. How many of you ever heard that scripture? This is verse 36. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Now look at what Jesus says. For as were the days of Noah. Didn't Peter say that? Didn't Peter talk about the flood? Okay, so Jesus is connecting Noah to the end times too here. He says, but as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, do you know why the devil himself in the public school system is trying to teach evolution over creationism? Because if he can take away a literal genesis from the minds of our young people, he can take away a literal understanding of the return of Jesus Christ. Do you understand how important it is? We cannot let the young people in the church of Jesus Christ have that stolen from them. Because my Jesus said that Noah's flood was real. My Jesus said, as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now look what it says. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Now, this struck me incredibly months ago as I was preparing this message. You have to listen here. When God judged the world,
world in Noah's day, when he sent that flood, why does the Bible say that he sent the flood? Because the thoughts and actions of man's heart was only evil continually. And we can only imagine, although Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun, you know, people talk about the horror of abortion in America today, and it is. But there was murder of all kinds back in Noah's day. The thoughts of man's heart was evil continued. There was every kind of transgression and perversion and hatred and envy and murder going on in Noah's day. And because of all these horrible transgressions, the Lord God sent judgment and he shortened man's lifespan from that point on. And thank God he did. I'm going to tell you what. I don't want to live a thousand years here. You know? But I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus refers to Noah's day and he's talking to his people, his church, his indictment against the people of Noah's day, he did not address specific transgressions or sins. He didn't say in Noah's day they were murdering each other and hating each other and committing adultery and all these... Is that what he says? His indictment when he speaks to the church of Jesus Christ is not identifying all their specific transgressions. He says the horror and the problem in Noah's day was that people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Since when is that a sin? And when you read Luke's account of Jesus' words, Jesus even adds the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says they were planting and building, buying and selling. Since when is that a sin? I'm going to tell you when it's a sin to get up and eat and drink and plant and buy and go to Walmart. <laughs> when that's all your life is about and you're not thinking about Jesus coming back. Amen? Listen to this. Jesus said, for as in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And Jesus is saying to us, the church of Jesus Christ, your problem is, it's the same problem. You get up every day, you get out your pressed toothpaste, you put on your toothbrush, you brush your teeth, you get dressed, you do your laundry, you eat your Cheerios, you make dinner for your family, you go out to work, you come home, you watch Andy Griffith reruns, you go through all the motions of life, you live this life, you go through everything that the good upstanding American family has to do, and never, hardly ever in your life does it ever cross your mind that before I'm done brushing my teeth, my Jesus may come back. So how ought I to be thinking while I'm brushing my teeth? How ought I to be talking when I'm on the job? What ought my conversations with my family be about if Jesus is about to come back? Amen? So Jesus said, as was the days of Noah, what they were doing, he was basically saying, they were just going through the cycle of life. They were just circling around, doing what everybody does, doing what you have to do to maintain your life and your family. And he said, and therein was the problem. Never taking thought for the fact that God was about to intervene in history. And I want to tell you something. If you never see my face again, you mark my words. God is going to intervene in history again. And I pray to my Lord Jesus Christ that you are ready. And that you are making it your business 
to get other people ready. He said, as was the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He goes on to say, two men were in the field. One was taken and one was left. Two women were grinding at the mill. One was taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. He's talking to the church. He says, stay awake. Because you do not know on what day your Lord is going to return. But know this, that if the master of the house had known on what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Now, Jesus here is not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to saved people. He says there's a danger that a Christian could be unaware and asleep. And that day would come upon you suddenly like a trap. That's scary stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Preaching to us. Now I want to talk for a minute about Noah's day because Jesus and Peter both compared the return of Christ to Noah's day. And I want to tell you something. We have to be very careful and very discerning to weigh everything against the Word of God and the Word of God only. Amen. Don't you weigh what I say against what somebody else says or against what somebody else taught you. You measure what Shelley Prindle says against the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Amen? Amen. And don't you walk into a Christian bookstore and buy a book just because it says it's a Christian book or give in to stuff just because it says it's Christian or because it's mildly biblical. You make sure it measures up to the Word of God. Now, before I get tell you what I'm about to tell you, I want to show you something that my husband got for me when we were first married. Just so you know, I'm guilty like you. How many of you say this? Aww, isn't that cute? And if you can open the door, little piggies come out. Aww. And when my little nephew Noah, since I don't have kids of my own, nephew, my nephew Noah is like my first little child. When little Noah was born, we decorated his room with Noah's art. But i got to tell you something. The enemy has stolen something from us. And we as Christians go buying Noah's Ark decor, thinking we're doing kids a favor by decorating their rooms with these floating arcs and waving giraffes. But I want to tell you something. That's not what Noah's Ark is like. And I wouldn't decorate a room like that today, learning what I've learned. And I believe that the enemy loves what we've done and what we think about Noah's Ark and what we teach our kids. Because in most renditions, you can Google search or you can go look for product, just like this one. Here's Noah right here. This is Noah's down there. you got some polar bears up here, some panda bears, some kangaroos. Now, my giraffes actually fell off. They were on a tall pole. Right? But what I'm saying is most of the time when you see Noah's Ark day for, you see Mr. and Mrs. Noah at the top. And you see the giraffes and the hippopotamuses, you know, and they're standing off the top. And this is the scene. Everybody's waving. Hi! I gotta tell you something. When God shut the door to the ark and the waters started building and everybody else on the face of the earth realized, oh my God meant what he said and there was no way as they started, I, I'm envisioning maybe I'm crazy, but I'm sure some of them before the waters got too high and the rain started were pounding on the ark let me in, let me in, let me in too late yeah. listen, too late I'm envisioning 
started to rise, fathers grabbed their toddlers and started climbing trees to get above the water so the toddler wouldn't drown. I'm envisioning nursing mothers grabbed their babies and started running up hills and mountains as the waters kept coming behind, screaming for the lives of their children. But there was no hope for that. It wasn't Mr. and Mrs. Noah and the giraffes on the top of the earth waving to everybody happily. There was nothing for them to smile about while the flood waters came. You with me? Now, just in case, I want you to measure everything against the Word of God in case you think I'm crazy. And many people do. That's okay. Genesis chapter, you, you know, you think I'm crazy for different reasons, though, I always say. Not the way I preach, but for other reasons. Just ask the people who travel with me. By the way, I don't know if any of you know from the retreat, but Karen and Bria always travel with me, hope and passion. These are Karen and Bria. This is my family, my mom and dad, my brother. These two travel with me, and one of the reasons is because I am very um, directionally challenged, like no sense of direction. I once got lost. I had an interview in the lobby of a hotel, so I had to go from my room to the lobby for the interview, and I got lost on the way. <laughs> it's really, really bad, and I'm directionally challenged, so I bring those two with me. You know, Fayette City is 52 minutes away. I better bring my troop with me so I can get there. So we're cruising along. Yeah. We have the printed directions. We have the GPS system, and my GPS woman that talks, she got laryngitis. <laughs> and we passed the exit on the turnpike. We had to loop around. I'm like, oh, it's a good thing I leave everywhere early and get myself. So these two, I don't know. You're fired. <laughs> okay, Genesis chapter seven. Here we go. Now look at this. Just so you don't think I'm crazy, I want you. To, I want you to know I'm not making this stuff up. Genesis chapter seven, verse six. Oh no, verse eleven. We're going to start verse eleven. Genesis chapter seven, verse eleven. And before I read the scripture, let me say to you something. One day it will be recorded in history, and I'm not predicting because we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. The Bible tells us clearly. But one day it will be recorded in history that on the 17th day of the month in the year 2013, at such and such a time, the judgment of God fell upon the face of the earth. That will happen again. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 7, beginning at verse 11, to see that God's judgment is literal, and it happens in real space and real time. Watch this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, you get the feeling there that God wants us to know this was a specific time in history, don't you? And I've got to tell you, it's hopeful. One day, a specific time in history, my Jesus is coming back. He's going to lay the earth bare. Watch this. On that particular day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life, and all those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord... Shut him in. He didn't shut the door. God shut the door. Because it was over, buddy. They were the last people getting in. I want to tell you something. If you love somebody, you will make sure they know there's going to be a day 
when the last person gets in. Amen? Amen? we got to tell them. Verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits or 20 feet deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. You get the feeling God wants us to know that everybody died. Watch this. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left. And those who were with him in the ark. Do you see how as the rains increased, the waters started to rise? Now are you picturing people being swept away in those floodwaters. I just watched this morning on the news they had play from somewhere where it flooded and, and there were entire cars being washed yeah, called being washed down like toothpicks. Now I want you to picture every other human being on the face of the earth, save eight, is being swept around like toothpicks, heads dashed against rocks, People's bodies being smashed against trees. Hands and arms grabbing, trying to get above the water, flailing as lungs became filled with water and people gasped and died. And you tell me if the giraffes were up top rejoicing. Now after Noah knew that he was safe, and we do. Isn't this the mixed emotions that we as Christians have? I can't wait for Jesus to return. Yeah. But my heart is heavy because many will not be saved. But here's what I want to emphasize to you. Jesus said, not Shelley Prindle, Jesus said, as were the days of Noah. So was the coming of the Son of Man. And people are going to die. It behooves us as the church of Jesus Christ to get things right. To start living for what matters and not wasting our time on our own pleasures and our own happiness. Because happiness is a byproduct of holiness anyway. Amen? Amen? I want you to turn one more place in the Bible with me. Actually, we're just going to go to two more verses. Look at Luke chapter 21, just so you can see what Luke's gospel says. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34. Again, this is Jesus speaking, and again, he's not preaching to the masses. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. He is talking to his disciples. He is talking to the church. Listen to what he said. He didn't say to the unsaved, he said this to the saved. 
your heart to be weighed down with dissipation or carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life and that they come upon you suddenly like a trap. Now, when I first read this, before I continue on, what struck me was, we as Christians have a funny way of flagging certain sins. Don't we? When every cotton-picking sin costs Jesus his blood. If I gossip about you tomorrow, that requires the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as much as a murder. We have a funny way of flagging certain sins. And I love what Jesus does here. This is what he says. He says, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with drunkenness. Ooh, that's bad. People shouldn't drink and get drunk. Christians should not be getting drunk. And we would, we would all say, yeah, that's true. Christians should not be getting drunk. So look what Jesus says. Let, make sure your heart isn't weighed down with drunkenness and murder. Is that what he says? No. He says, make sure your heart's not weighed down with drunkenness and cares of this life. Do you know that it is a sin to care more about the stuff of this world than Jesus? And you can point your finger at a drunk if you want to. But if you spend all your time playing with your toys and watching your television set and you are not preparing for the return of the Lord, you are in just as much sin. Is that what Jesus said? Watch yourselves. Let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Is that what it says? It says, so stay awake and pray. Stay awake so that you can pray. Pray that you will have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. It's going to get wild, my friends. You think it's wild now? It's going to get wild as the Antichrist rises onto the scene and prophecy continues to be fulfilled. Amen? He says, you better be praying. You better be worried about the stuff of the Lord, and you better be praying that you will have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, and to actually, look what it says, and to stand before the Son of Man. And I, Shelley Prindle, confess that since I've studied that scripture, I have spent time actually praying this prayer. Lord, make me be so focused on you that when you return, I can stand and not fall in shame. He says pray. He says Christians pray. Pray that you have strength to escape these things and pray that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. I want you to go one more place. First Thessalonians. Let's go to the Apostle Paul. We haven't talked about him yet. Let's see what he corroborates about what we've been speaking of. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Give everybody a minute to get there. And by the way, we do have outlines available of this message on Hope and Passion's website so that you can see all the scriptures and the main points if you're interested in that. Just Google search my name or look up Hope and Passion. You can download the outline for this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Now, I'm coming to a close here, but before I do, how can we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 without first going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Does anybody know what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 17 is about? Is that anybody's Bible memory verse? Other than me? Oh, listen. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 17. Wait a second here, listen to this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Amen? And that basically means that if Jesus comes back before I die, now him and I have a deal. I've said Jesus. I want the rapture to happen before I die. And I like to think he said okay. I'm just saying, yeah, I hope that that happens. But if I'm still alive, okay, if if I die first, well, if I'm still alive, great things are going to happen. If I die first and you bury me and you put me in the ground, please come to my funeral, first of all. And everybody say this verse, okay? They put me in the ground and the worms start to eat my body. I guarantee you one thing. When the trumpet sounds, I'm coming out first. Amen? I've always said, I had a pastor who used to say this, and I say the same thing. I want to be walking or driving in a cemetery when Jesus comes back. Could you imagine you're driving down the road at the cemetery, and the Lord returns, and you're still alive, but the dead in Christ go first? You're driving your car, and you lose hold of the wheel. You're watching the bodies come out. Bodies are going to come out of the ground. I'm telling you, Jesus says that Noah's day was literal, and Jesus says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Jesus says in 1 Thessalonians and other places in the Bible, your body's coming out of the ground. I've had students through the years say, well, Mrs. Prindle, what if somebody's body gets burnt to a crisp, or they're blown up by a bomb, or their ashes have been sprinkled in the Atlantic Ocean? I don't care. You think the God who made your body out of absolutely nothing, who picked up dust from the ground and breathed into it the breath of life, can't find your molecules and put it back together? Are you kidding me? Read Psalm chapter 33, beginning at verse 6. But 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their starry hosts. He's, when he comes back, those bodies are going to come out of the tomb, those molecules are going to pull back together, and there you're going to be with your brand new body. Can you imagine? If you think I'm crazy, how many of you think I'm crazy? Okay, if you think I'm crazy, I'm crazy. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not crazy. It's true. But the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, and if we're still alive, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord near. Now, you see, that really wasn't a part of my message today, but how could I go to chapter 5 if I'm not? Okay? So, first, okay, so we're going to go back to chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, and this is something to underline in your Bible. Listen to these sobering words. Words of love. Jesus Christ, who died for us. Why? Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, 
we might live with him. Now, I want to preface this by saying when Paul writes and he uses the word sleep, he usually does not mean a sleep, the Apostle Paul uses as a euphemism for death. Because to him, when you die, it's not the end. You're just closing your life to one world and opening them up to a better world. So when he says whether you are awake or asleep, asleep means dead. So listen to this again. Jesus Christ, who died for us, why? Why does it say he died for us? So that whether we are alive or dead. Check this out. So that whether we are alive or dead, we might live with him. Why is that so important? I'm going to say something I never want you to forget. If you think somehow when you die, and, and, and let's just back up and say, when people are interviewed on television, deaths occur and people are interviewed on television, don't you, do you ever see a person say, oh, he's gone and I know he's in hell. Have you ever seen that? No, we like to compartmentalize and everybody likes to dream and believe that everyone's going to heaven. All right? So you get people here, oh, I know he's a really good person. I'll tell you something. Narrow is the way. All right? People are dreaming that they're going to heaven, but they're not really, many of them. And I want to say that because this, this verse says that whether we are alive or dead, Jesus died so that you could live with him whether you're alive or dead. And if you believe for one minute that for some strange reason you can live with whoever you want on this earth as your first love and do whatever you want in this life and then someday when you die you're going to go to heaven and be with Jesus, you're nuts. You will be with him when you're dead if you're with him when you're alive. Are you with me? Jesus Christ died for you so that whether you are alive or you are dead, you might live with him. And one of the greatest tests that I like to place on myself is I like to say to people close to me, if I were to interview the five people closest to your life and say, who does she or he love to be with the most? Who does she or he love the most? Who does her mind always go back to? What is her focus always on? The answer better be Jesus. He died for me so that whether I'm alive, walking through Fayette City or Irwin, Pennsylvania, I might live with him. And if I don't live with him here, I will not live with him there. You don't suddenly change when you die. Your new birth happens now. And it is an ongoing continuum. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a minute? Thank you, Jesus, so much for your word. Thank you that your word is powerful and that all we need to do is go to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are with every single one of us in this place to speak to us as we open our hearts up to you. And Lord, as we finish out the last parts of this service together today, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus that the word of God that has been spoken and shared would descend into our hearts in a way like never before. 
And if there is a person in this place who needs to be made into a new creation right now today, who wants to live with you now so that they will live with you then, if there is a person who's been convicted to say, wow, Jesus is real and he's really coming back and I need to really be with him, then Lord, I pray in Jesus' name they would make that decision. And if there are Christians in here, people who already know you, who are loved for you, have waxed cold, and we need to be reignited, we need to fan into flame the gift that you have given to us. We need to be on fire for you. We need to be living for what matters, to truly be living with you now. And to understand that one of the greatest sins that we can commit is to go through the cycle of life never believing that you are going to truly intervene in history. God, convict us and help us, we pray, every one of us. And before we move on, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I, I, I really like to do this not because of some routine, but because you know that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and the Lord has called me to speak this word this morning. And God likes us to mark events and times. Throughout his word, he tells his people to set up uh, memorials, to set up altars, to remember times and events. And if this morning, on this day, you have either made a commitment to Jesus Christ for the first time in your heart, or you are a Christian who said, I want to live the way Jesus has called me in the light of his soon return. I want to be on fire and know that I'm ready and not be caught suddenly in the trap of that day. I want to preach the gospel. I want to live for what matters. If that's you, I'm going to ask, would you raise your hand so that I can pray with you? as a testimony to what God has done. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Many hands going up. Praise you, Lord. We love you and we thank you because you work. Your Holy Spirit works. You're raising up the church of Jesus Christ in these last days to believe what is true. And may we be soldiers, good soldiers of Jesus Christ, as Timothy said. Is there anyone else who'd like to make that commitment? Praise you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for whatever you've done in these hearts. You know you are working. You know us inside out. And we give ourselves and we yield ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.